Welcome to Alessia's Divine Comedy, a journey through Dante's masterpiece, a read-along podcast hosted by me, Alessia Cesana Harris. Episode 90, Paradiso, Canto ventitreesimo, The Seventh Day, Early Afternoon. Forgive me if my voice is going to be rough uh, in the previous episode as well. I hope it's going to hold up for the end of this one. We are 10 canti away from the end and I'm not sure where time has actually gone. I started this podcast in May and it's now the 4th of August, Feast of St. John Vianney, so let's spare a prayer for our priests if you haven't yet. We left Dante staring at Beatrice, who looks like she's anxiously waiting for the arrival of someone or for something to happen. She's looking at the side of the sky under which the sun appears to move more slowly, and Dante compares her to a bird waiting for sunrise on a tree, anxious to go looking for food to feed her little ones. It's the kind of moment that would inspire the lark ascending, both the poem and the music which was based on it. I don't care if it's cliché or whatnot, it remains one of my favourite pieces of music because of the dreamy pastoral landscape that it evokes. Anyway, Dante wants to know why she looks so expectant, but he just keeps silent, hoping it will all be clear soon. And what comes next is something unexpected, at least for me. I mean, I guess it's the only obvious explanation for Beatrice looking like that, but I wasn't expecting the whole thing to happen so soon after entering this sphere, since I know there are nine spheres of the angel before you see God, and we're only in the eighth sphere before those nine spheres. Still, we get to see Christ in triumph with the blessed all around him, although it is so radiant that he obscures them. And of course, the loving gaze of Beatrice also grows more ardent as she shines in the presence of her beloved. Poor Dante, although I guess by now he knows that no lover of Christian woman could ever be her number one, even if his life had gone differently and he had married her instead of Gemma Donati. Anyway, his own feelings are hardly his preoccupation now. He is beginning to experience the afterlife the way that the blessed experience it. And since he has seen the risen Christ, he can now cope with seeing Beatrice's smile, although he could never have sufficient words to describe anything he saw in that sphere, not even if the muses come to his rescue like they did before. Beatrice exhorts him to have a look around and see the sphere which is like a garden that just bloomed. But in order for Dante to be able to see it, our Lord has moved higher up like the sun hiding behind a cloud. And this has to be the sweetest moment in the whole poem. First, Dante sees the Blessed Virgin Mary with the Archangel Gabriel dancing around her after descending on her like a crown, singing a heavenly tune that would make the sweetest song on earth sound like thunder. The angel declares his love for her in whose womb God was made flesh, and all the blessed acclaim her. Still clowned by the angel, she will then follow her son higher in heaven, leaving the blessed behind, looking at her like a baby looks at the mother once he's separated from her after being fed, and they all start singing the Regina Celi, with such sweetness that the memory will never leave the poet. Dante compares the blessed enjoying the fruits of the holiness they sowed on earth to the Israelites entering the promised land after the exile, and St. Peter appears in Dante's line of sight, celebrating the triumph of his good over evil. <coughs> He's only briefly mentioned because, spoilers, is the protagonist of the next canto. 
This one is the usual brief interlude canto where we see a scene with some depth of meaning but almost no action, which is meant to provide both a link and a demarcation between two thematic blocks in the poem. The link is that, of course, we are still in heaven, and the final two spheres provide a smooth transition into the Empyreo, from the spheres of the planets. The demarcation is that we are now about to enter the inner circle. If you are familiar with the structure of the Temple of Jerusalem, which is replicated in the traditional design for churches, we now have moved from the courtyard into the nave, ready to enter the sanctuary and then the tabernacle. The Temple of Solomon, as described in the Old Testament, had an outer court for the worshippers to gather, an inner court for the priests, and then the temple building itself, with a sanctuary called Ekal, which literally means large building, and then the Holy of Holies, Akodashim, which is better known because the veil that separated it from mankind was torn at the crucifixion. And now we can all approach the throne of God with boldness, as St. Paul exhorts us in the letter to the Hebrews. The canto is pretty straightforward in its imagery. We see Mary as the mystical rose, which is ref a reference to the Rose of Sharon in the Song of Songs, and the bud that blossomed from the root of Jesse in Isaiah chapter 11. As the rose is seen as the Queen of Flowers, then it is only fitting that it should be an image of Mary and vice versa. This devotional image will lead logically into the view of the Apostles as Lily, whose per perfume would lead the faithful on the path of the righteous. However, marine devotion is not the only key theme of the canto. Another one is Dante being raised to a higher condition than his humanity. This creates a difficulty for Dante the poet, since he is unable to relate that experience to the readers, but at the same time he is the genius of the poem. It blurs the lines between a mystical writing and literature once again, and the meaning is deeper in what isn't said than in what is. A final point before we end today's episode. St. Peter appears here in a logical order of the most blessed after the Blessed Virgin Mary, because St. Peter founded the church. Well, technically Jesus founded it and entrusted it to him. Anyway, it's the most obvious point a Roman Catholic, especially one of Dante's time, would have made, but it will turn out to have some significance for the rest of Dante's journeys too, as seen by the reference to his holding the keys to heaven. It would not make sense to have like St. John the Beloved appear here, although if I was the one writing, that would have been my order. And on this thought, I will break off for the night and be back hopefully before midday tomorrow with St. Peter's Canto. Ciao! Thank you for listening to today's episode of Alessia's Divine Comedy, A Journey Through Dante's Masterpiece. Thank you also to Alexander Nakarada for the music, which is fun for 10 or ads if it was not meant as a Roman numeral, and is available in the public domain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alessia underscore Sheik or on my blog www.sheikandcatholic.com.